I really believed, and I do believe this in this industry, you have to rest when you die in that, that it's, it's not an industry that is easy. Um, you have to love it. You have to love coming to work on a day like today. You have to love getting ahead because there's going to be days that, you know, it just kicks you. Welcome to Tap and Table. I'm Matthew Schnipper. My co-host is Ryan Hannigan. Our guest this week is Joseph Coleman, founder of the Blue Star Group. Currently, Blue Star Group operates Stellina Pizza, where we're recording from tonight, La Owl's Taco Shop, and several entities at the Ivy Wild School, including Ivy Wild Kitchen, the Principal's Office, Lazo Empanadas, and Decent Pizza Co. The group also recently acquired Gold Star Pies. And those of you who've lived here a while may be familiar with former outfits Nosh and the Blue Star. Both closed in 2017, but we'll be talking with Joseph tonight about the exciting news of Blue Star's return later this year. We'll hear about that, as well as dive into Blue Star history and the culinary and cultural imprint the restaurant left on Colorado Springs. I do that every time. You just don't have it down. I don't think I've lived here long enough. Colorado Springs. You're a transplant, right? I am a transplant. I came from Alabama, guys. It makes sense. We're not editing this out. We're keeping that. Uh, During its two-plus decades. All right. This episode's sponsored by Downtown Colorado Springs, Curious Elixirs, and the Ute Restaurant at City Rock. We'll hear more about each of them later. All right, so now before we throw Joe into the true hot seat here, um, I mean, we're in a pizza kitchen, for, you know, for God's sake. Uh, I want to do a little house- housekeeping just to make sure that uh, we, you guys know what you're supposed to be doing. Uh, please make sure you subscribe to Tap and Table so that we can keep making fun content like this. Uh, episodes are available on YouTube, Spotify, Google, Apple. Uh, if there's a platform we're missing, let us know and we'll try to get on that. Um, additionally, subscribe to Side Dish with Snipper, a la Matthew, or Focal Pint with the Focus on the Beer newsletter. Uh, if you want to get sort of the first digs at the new beer and food news that's coming in this city. So, um, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. We've been doing a lot of the talking here, so now it's time for us to transition the, the stardom or the, the focus over to you. Uh, really, we just want to get your personal history in terms of, you know, being in restaurants, owning restaurants. Um, it's, you know, from what Matt's told me, you started in restaurants at the ripe old age of 14. Is yeah. that right? I, I was a terrible student in Houston, Texas. And, um, when I lived in St. Louis, I had lawn mowing jobs. We moved to Houston. My dad worked for NASA and McDonnell Douglas. And, uh, I had to get a job and I had to get a job I don't know if any of you've lived in the South, but the, the grass grows from March until January. It pretty much grows all, all right. year round. And so if I had a lawn mowing job, it wasn't going to be just in the summertime like it was in St. Louis. And I also wanted a job with air conditioning. So I got a job at the Crazy Cajun, which was on NASA Road 1. And I worked for a guy by the name of Sonny Payne who didn't own a house. He lived in a Winnebago trailer. You know, that like a van, a camper yeah. van, they would call it today. And uh, yeah, it was, it truly was nuts. What was your first assignment at that? Bussing tables and parking cars and rolling silverware. Okay. So that's your, that's your intro to the whole industry. Yeah. Bussing, rolling, parking. Yep. And then there, in the back, there was this huge barbecue pit where they cooked one pound and two pound ribeyes with dipped, dredged in pickup pepper sauce. And I was just amazed that these two cooks could 
cook a two pound ribeye medium rare, you know, it was just, I mean, the pit was like a grave. I mean, it was just huge. So did you hire one to be your grill guy sometime now? Does this guy work in Colorado Springs now? No, no. Those people all are probably dead from the (laughs) consumption of alcohol and drugs and other illicit. Don't forget the grill smoke and heavy quantities of meat. Oh my God. Yeah. So how long did you stay at Crazy Cajun? What was next after Crazy Cajun? Uh, then I, I stopped working there, but when we moved to St. Louis, I started working in pizza restaurants. I worked in a couple of restaurants, um, called two nice guys. Um, they had two locations and I worked prep cook in the morning at one restaurant and a pizza cook slash line cook at the other restaurant in the afternoon evening. Okay. And I did that nonstop. How'd you get to Colorado Springs then? Take us from St. Louis to Colorado So my grandmother died November 8th of 1989. I visited her uh, every two weeks on Tuesdays and Thursdays between my shifts. She asked me what I wanted to do. I told her I wanted to be in the restaurant business. Um, So then at her services, my grandfather came up to me and told me, I wanted to be in the restaurant business. I needed to either go to Cornell or work for his friend, Carl Idle, who ran the Broadmoor hotel. I looked at a map of where the Broadmoor was and I was like, fucking a, <laughs> and, uh, well, like mountains, cause green mountains yeah. away from my parents, Colorado, <laughs> yeah. you know, I'd come to camp out here a couple times when I was a kid. Um, yeah. And it was just, so I left on mother's day of 89. That How was my, you? uh, 19, 19. Okay. And uh, left on Mother's Day, packed two trunks and told my mother that when I got here, if I liked it, I would tell her to ship me the stuff. And I did. I was originally hired just as a summer job, um, but the Broadmoor offered me a full-time job within a couple of weeks. Uh, They only let me work 40 hours a week so that by the time of, by the time October rolled around and the Broadmoor was slowing down, um... I got a job at Wooglins, which opened in November of 89. I was their third employee. Then I worked those two jobs for a while. And people should remember now, Wooglins now is located up north. It used to be right where the Colorado Springs, or the CC Arena is now, right there at the end of Tejon. And it was a classic, like, dive for CC students, basically. Yeah, it was opened by Dan Cross and Linda LaFollette, who were CC students. And it was 800 square feet, and it was sandwiches and salads. It was great. I ate there a lot yeah. when I was a student. I liked it. Really? Yeah. I think that was after your era. But I Did was, you go I to was CC? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. 97 to 2001. Oh, wow. You never knew about no. my privilege? No. Joseph. I'm, I'm upset. No. I'm a no. little upset. Didn't know. better than eating at Werner, probably, I thought too. we knew each other. Okay, fine. No. Whatever. My CC secret's out now. Anyway. No. So, Wooglin's 89, third employee. Yeah, third or fourth employee. I got that job because I used to make meatballs at the restaurant in St. Louis. Okay. And it was hamburger meat, sausage, eggs, breadcrumbs, you know, this recipe. So I walk into Wooglin's and they had a meatball sandwich. They had six sandwiches on the menu. Yeah. And it was like their second or third day because I was associated with Young Life, um, which was right across the street. Mm -hmm. And... um, I walk in and I say to the guy behind the counter, hey, can I, I want to order a meatball sandwich. He's like, we don't have meatballs yet. And I said, well, what's your recipe? And he's like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, do you have this, this, and this in it? 
He's like, who are you? <laughs> I'm like, I've just made a fucking ton of pizza and a ton of meatballs. Yeah. So he hired me and, you know, That's that was the, the deal. Yeah. That's the Wooglin's job. Yeah. Okay. Richards was similar. Richards. I was going to say, that sounds like what you told me. So how long were you at Wooglin's? Then poor Richards is coming next. I just ruined the secret. But yeah. So then I worked at Wooglin's. Wooglin's expanded. Originally, it was 824 square feet. It expanded Criterion Bike Shop was right next to it. Originally, Criterion moved and Wooglin's moved, kind of expanded in that back area. I want to say that was... 91 early 91 yeah and then um i quit there in december of 91 and walked down the street because of a woman gert pedro gertrude pedlo uh was friends with richard scorman and richard was back and he had taken poor richard's back from this guy dale and uh i went in and had a meeting with richard it was hysterical. It was in the back of the theater, which is now the back of the toy store. And that's, the, that's where Kimball's was originally located. So yeah, but I mean, it more was, history for Yeah, I mean, it was, it was Richard's. Kimball bought it from Richard. Um, Kimball was, at this point, in the process of moving back to Calder Springs, but he was in New Mexico. Um, and I was talking to Richard, and I you know, asked him a bunch of questions about pizza and things like that. And, he was just kind of gently pushing me off. And I was literally standing at the door saying goodbye to him. And I said, what kind of pizza oven are you going to, are you going to get? And he's like, I don't know. I need to go do that. And I said, well, make sure it's either a Baker's pride or a Blodgett. And he's like, how do you know that? And I said, I just fucking told you, dude, I know more <laughs> about pizza than anybody at Colorado Springs at this point. So I don't think people would, I think this is a great part of this. Like no one in the Springs would have known that Joseph Coleman had a hand and sort of helping shape poor Richard's pizza game. <laughs> like that's actually some great history. So I don't think anyone of, knew that. Yeah. I mean, I, I worked, a, I mean, yeah, I was, I worked a long time for Richard every day for a while. He sent me away when I was not getting burned out, but I had an ulcer cause I was eating poorly. Um, he sent me to his doctor, Dr. Norton. I'll never forget that. That was a very generous, very generous and responsible move. Sounds like a Richard thing to do. Yeah, it was. Yeah. He was incredible. He was incredible. Very, very kind uh, guy. I used to meet with him on Saturdays. I was convinced that he was going to fire me because I was just too aggressive or hostile. <laughs> He'd say things like, Joseph, you can't treat all of our customers like cows. And I'm like, Richard, there's a line out the door. We need to, you can't chat everybody up. So define aggressive. I want to, I kind of want to like focus on this for a second. I want to like, what were you doing? It just sounds like he, he ran it like a, you would run a pizza place yeah, in, in that's St. Ex- Louis. That's, or in New York. Or New York. Or New York. Truly, there were people that would come to the line. And I don't know if you remember this at Poor Richard's, but there was this menu that was easily 10 feet by There's six feet. a million feet. things on the menu, right. too. Yeah. But it was, it was by the slice, you know. Yeah. People would be in line for 15 minutes. They'd get up to the counter, and they'd say, I'd say, can I get your order? What do you want? And they'd say, um. And I'd say, next. <laughs> no way. And they'd be like, what was that? And I'm like, you just sat here. <laughs> you didn't look so at the then, menu the whole time you stood right. there. So that didn't so get that me. Didn't fly with Richard. That did not fly okay. with Richard. <laughs> and I kind of understand it. But, I mean, we were working. At that point, we were working. Me and this guy, Gene Jones, and this guy, Jerry Bailey. Three of us were working night shifts. <coughs> Rachel Hess was helping. She was a CC student. 
Um, yeah, it was incredible. During the day, Pam and Jeannie uh, were there. Uh, yeah, it was incredible. Yeah, I like it. That I think there's a lot of people in Colorado Springs now who will still recognize these people by first name just because it's that iconic of a spot. Yeah. And a lot of us remember the history there. Um, there was okay. Big John who eventually came. He joined later on, but he wasn't there opening. But <clears throat> Jocelyn Sandberg was there on the opening crew. I'll never forget her. She worked at KRCC. Mm-hmm. She was awesome. So take us from there. I think, well, you tell me what's coming next. I think it's the last place you worked before starting the Blue Star. Was La Creperie. Okay. So anything about that? You told oh, I mean, me one I, funny story. Oh, right? I have hysterical stories yeah. about that. So, <laughs> yeah. I mean, the first thing is that I knew I wanted to open this restaurant where the menu changed all the time. And I knew I needed a chef that could be creative. And a friend of mine, Eric Verlo, said that there is a guy at La Creperie that could that could kind of play in that space. Okay. And I said, okay, I'll go in and apply. And... Um, where was it located, by the way? It was located where Skirted Heifer is now. Okay. Got so it. it was a tiny restaurant. It was 11 tables. Okay. Um, I'm not sure which story you want about when I was hired. Is, or back to the aggressive part. You told me you would go up to tables. Oh, about and, asking for money? Yeah. Oh, that was fucking easy. Like you're waiting on people and Absolutely. you're asking them for Kimberly money. Kimberly Sherwood and Chuck Gale were eating there. They're like, who are you? What are you doing? I'm like, my name's Joseph Coleman. I'm opening a restaurant. You got $1,000 I can borrow. And they, <laughs> if anybody even just flinched, if they didn't say no, get the fuck off me. If they were like, why or what or yes, I was all over them. Chris White and Pam lent me my first $1,000. That's where I met Alan Manley, who brought in wine and taught me about, uh, taught me about the difference between a Sancerre and a Pinot Gris. And I mean, he brought in wine that was just like mind-numbingly crazy. I mean, just like fucking unbelievable like white boxed wine. white wine. No, I'm kidding. No There's boxes. There. Yeah, there are no, <laughs> no, no, no. Just great wine. Oh, blew incredible! Your mind. Like incredible. you hadn't had something that oh good before. Oh, this is like your introduction to good wine. Yes. And so he okay. would come in, and then I would talk. So the creperie had this crazy menu that was this pink folding menu and everything was like six ninety five. And then up on this board were the specials, the nightly specials like beef bourguignon, um, a halibut steak, those things. And they would be between 16 and, and $25. And that's first of all, what the chef wanted to sell. And number two, if I'm getting tips, why the fuck would I want to sell a six ninety five crate? <laughs> Yeah, you're selling the big, big ticket. So, right. So I would not put down menus at the restaurant. And people would come in and say, I want a crepe. And I'm like, this is our menu tonight. And they're like, but I want a crepe. And I'm like, we're not serving crepes tonight. And they're like, but it's called La Creperie. And I'm like, this is what we're doing. Did, you, did the owner of this place know that you were doing that and she, asking tables for money? She didn't. She, her mother was dying of cancer in Florida. So the first time I met her, she uh, was out front at this table. And Danny said to me, Joe, the owner's out there. This has been like a couple of months, easily two weeks, if not a couple of months after I'd started. And she says, my name is Huguette Dodal. I am the owner of La Caipri Restaurant. I am your boss. So you didn't point to the menu. I am the one. You point I'm, to the menu and say, this is all we have for you. Right, no, no. <laughs> I'm the one that signs your paycheck. 
And I just stuck out my hand. I'm like, my name's Joseph E. Coleman Jr. I'm the one that endorses it. <laughs> and also, do you have a thousand dollars? I did. Yeah, she was she was much more adversarial. Okay. Um, but we, I sold a ton of wine. Like we didn't have. Uh, she didn't like how much wine we sold. She only wanted to get one, one wine delivery a week. And I, I had the goal uh, of selling a case of wine per night in bottles. And that messed up her, her inventory management <laughs> theory. Um, so just stuff like that. We changed the uniform to match the opening Blue Star uniform. It was traditional now. So it was a white shirt and a tie and a white bistro apron and black pants. And I mean, you would have thought we had, you know, shot somebody on Tejon the way she, <laughs> the way she, you just made me think of another funny story. This, I swear to God, this We happened. can pause for a funny story. No, this, then Ryan this, has a question, but we can pause great. for a funny story. That's great. There used to be a payphone out there. Uh, outside the creperie. Outside the creperie. And Did, should we define payphones for the younger speak, They used to speak payphones all up and down like <laughs> Tejon, but yeah. like... Yeah. And so, <laughs> and so a customer comes and says, um, do you have a phone we can borrow? And I said, no, you know, there's a pay phone right outside, but if you dial nine one one first, you get a free call. <laughs> oh, <shit>. <laughs> <laughs> customer goes outside. I didn't know this until five minutes later. Customer goes outside. <laughs> <laughs> Must have dialed nine one one. Did it twice or something comes back in slinks in sits down about three minutes later cops just descend on the restaurant <laughs> and they're like what's wrong you know is anything wrong we're like no everything's fine we're just cooking and blah 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 blah. and then i look around at this woman who i find out later was from a big city she was like from new york or san francisco or something like that and uh so the cops leave but i look at her and i'm like was that you? And she's like, yeah, I didn't, I didn't understand it. <laughs> oh my God. That's great. Well, to recap, model employee begs for money, um, tells customers next right in their face, gets people to swat his restaurant. Probably good. He left the industry to start his own thing because I, I was, if that had continued, who knows where we, this correct. city would be right correct. now with this guy working for them. Yeah. yeah I would not hire I would hire like the intent of me, but my, I had a lot of energy. Let's just put it that way. Okay. You want to start with this one? I think we need some drinks. We need some drinks. Okay. You know, we're, we're getting, getting organized in real time here. We're looking at our questions and deciding. So, all right, we're both, we're thirsty. It's time. What we call our table stakes segment. Uh, tonight it's presented by Curious Elixirs. And we have in front of us three lovely drinks we're about to open, right? If you want to start pouring one of them up into these glasses and then we'll... Pass those around. Um, so, Curious Elixirs are booze-free craft cocktails infused with adaptogens to help you unwind. Curious Elixirs' bold, adventurous beverages are handmade from a team of world-class bartenders, herbalists, and food scientists. For the last nine years, Curious Elixirs has been making booze-free beverages containing organic juices, herbs, spices, roots, and botanicals to make your mouth dance. All right, we're going to try these now. Should have, I should have poured. I, I, I poured horribly, sorry. That's all right. It's my first time. All right, while he's pouring that first one up, I'm going to tell you what we're drinking first. It's their number six, a coconut pineapple painkiller craft cocktail. And I'm going to just look at the ingredients right, really uh, quick. Yeah, look at the instructions, too. Uh, shaken. I did not shake it, and so you can see um, 
shake we should shake one. combination. So we're gonna we're, we're gonna, gonna, a little, we're gonna little, do a little bit of a mixology or here. Or just shake that one. Or we could shake this one. We could get we could open two. We got we got three to go. Yeah, we got two more. So. Making a mess on the table here. All right, it's okay. So we're gonna drink this one and tell you what we think. We've never had these, by the way. Um, these are some examples that the company's kindly sent us, and I'm excited to try them. I've only had a couple other flavors in the past, and this I've one's not a pineapple tried these. one. You said. Cheers. It coconut is. pineapple painkiller. Coconut pineapple painkiller. Cheers. Cheers. All right. Ooh, that's delicious. I like that pineapple. I like the nose. Yeah. Yeah, I'm fine with that. Yeah, it's sort of like it, it, the it's the spices in there. The it's almost like not quite baking spices or ginger or no nutmeg. A lot of yeah, these, there's nutmeg yeah. or oh, cardamom. Yeah, a lot of these uh, these NA beer uh, beverages, um, they always have like essences of things because they can't add a bunch of things that'll like ferment, mm-hmm. and so it's got blackstrap molasses essence. So it gives it that sort of backbone where it feels like it's got that really like mm. I was gonna say the sulfury like sweetness, but it's not it's not thick. Yeah, and it's got a nice little acidity to it. I mean, it's got lime and orange in there as well with the pineapple. Great drink. Coconut um, cream, too. That's Let's get the second one going. All right. So if you're wanting to order from home, that is the number six. Um, and CuriousElixirs.com, you can order uh, a variety of flavors. Um, but that's the number six. And so next up. This one is a – this is this, the second one is their number two, which is – they call it their spicy plus stormy pineapple margarita. So – do I need to, should I have shaken this one too? Oh. <laughs> God, we're well, sorry, guys. We should have read gosh, the label am, before we got into this. Chill and invert. Invert twice. Okay. You do that. Got back we on. Took care, you know what we did do? We took care of the chilling part. We really got yeah, that Yeah, it's one cold. Right invert <laughs> twice. There we go. Sorry about that. Actually, it's good. We're just teaching a lesson so when they receive it in the mail, they'll know how to do their own. Right. Course. The nice thing about these guys is that they'll, they'll ship it directly to you. So you, if you can't find it at you know, a local store around you, uh, I know we got these ones in the mail. Okay. Uh, do you want to – here, I'm going to give a little splash and then you can I'll read that walk one. through what's in this one. So this one they say our spicy meets stormy margarita gives you a booze-free boost with a pineapple. Hmm. Uh, with pineapple, ginger, damiana – Smoky ancho chili, jalapeno, and sea salt. Oh, wow. Hmm. I really like, again, the aroma. Like, first thing, nose is great. They got a lot of, like, uh, uh, nose here. No refined sugar, uh, alcohol-free, wow. nothing artificial. It's gluten-free, and it's 100% vegan. So It's got a nice, like, back-of-the-throat bite. Yeah. And, um, and like, spicy, but not, like, full-out. Um, not too like, hot. Yeah, mezcal, jalapeno, margarita mm-hmm. type thing. Um, that just has a really nice, like, clean fade. I, I like that. Um, Got great heat. I like the heat in there. Mm-hmm. Ancho, oh, jalapeno, and red chili. And then that sea salt finish, too. I get that little, like, yeah, that little tiny salinity finish. Star anise as well, uh, or anise, however you want to say that. Right. Gives uh, it that slight licorice punch. Licorice, yeah. Yeah. That's great. I feel All like I get that more on the nose, that licorice. Anything else? Do you want to do the last one, or do you want to just There's open an it? open one right there. We just oh. open it. Yeah, yeah I already have from the front. I did. I did. Yeah. And I don't know we're, we we're doing this during dry January, by the way, too. This episode is being made in January. So if you listen to this later, it's always a great time to check drop, these out. But yeah, Drop that cap. So um, I guess we'll invert this cap. 
But right now, we're if pros. you want to get some, an order in before the end of the month while it's still dry January, this is a great cocktail alternative. I'm, I'm impressed so far. This one's got some carbonation to it. All right, while you're pouring that, I will tell you it's a number seven. Uh, fancy floral champagne cocktail. And I believe this is a spin on the French 75. And uh, Chardonnay, elderflower, and lavender. Whoa, interesting. Different. Set these here so that people can see what they look like. Hmm. Have those there. I guess while we're uh, while we're sipping on these, um, mm. would you tell people where they could get Curious Elixirs? CuriousElixirs.com. It's that easy. Yeah. So visit visit CuriousElixirs.com to learn more and place your order today. So Joe, oh, no. as we're you know we're we're gonna sit here and drink a little bit of these, but uh, we talked about everything leading up until Blue Star. Sure. Blue Star opens in 1995. Correct. The Blue Star that everyone you know loves and remembers isn't mm -hmm. the Blue Star that started in 95 where was that like what was the concept the menu and and like how did that sort of evolve as it went towards so the first blue star was in the parvicini space now 2802 west colorado um it was 16 tables i lived above it um the menu changed every week uh the first chef was dan bailey like i said uh the second chef was james davis who oh, we all know yeah um, and yeah, it was, uh, menu changed every week and it was nutty. I mean, people, people really enjoyed the creativity. Uh, I then got in an argument with my landlord and we, I decided, we decided that we needed to move. I started, uh, this is actually a funny story. The way I found the building was, uh, this great family here in town, the Pharisees, Dr. and Chris Pharisee used to come into the Blue Star and they, uh, they would come in and they were just really, they were great customers, but they were infrequent. And what I mean by that is they would come in, they would have a great meal, they would have a bottle or two or two of wine, and then they would leave and I wouldn't see them for a couple of months. So one night I tell them, hey, I'm looking at buying a building. I want to move. And I said, where do you guys eat out the most? And they said, Luigi's. And I said, you're kidding me, Luigi's. And I said, how often do you eat there? They said, three times a week. I said, you're out of your fucking mind. She said, no. She said, we have a house account three times a week. Easy. Luigi's is classic. And I said, uh, I said, I, I don't believe you. And Dr. <laughs> Pharisee said, next time we come in, I'll bring you, uh, I'll bring you the monthly statement, the receipts. <laughs> and I said, okay, no so problem. Now you're interrogating your customers. Instead of yeah. asking them for money, now you're asking them for their bank yeah. statements. That's right. Okay. No problem. No, they're, they're spending other restaurants. They're, yeah, they're, yeah, yeah. They're expenses. <laughs> and so I mean, he does. He's consistent, if anything. Yeah, he <laughs> does. And the next day, I drove down to Luigi's on Tejon. And I said, and I knew where the Pharisees lived. And I said, I'm going to put a fucking restaurant between Luigi's and the, where the Pharisees lived. So I found 1645 South Tejon. What was there at the time? Pettigrew Auction Gallery. Okay. Active or, or closed? Active. Active. Active, but um, when it, when it, what I mean by active is it had an auction one weekend a month. Okay. So 28, 28 days a month. 
it was nothing. And then one weekend a month, it was gangbusters. Nuts. Sure. Um, I went to the bank, said, can I buy this building? They said, you need to get a partner. We don't really believe you or trust you. <laughs> I went to Mike Bristol, who had opened in 94 on Forge Road. And how did you know Mike? Uh, the first time, I'm, I didn't know Mike at that point. I had served his beer at Poor Richard's. Because when I worked at Richard's, I'm, I'm under the impression that Poor Richard's was either the first tap or the second tap Mike got. Either Old Chicago's was number one and Richard's was number two, or Richard's was number one, and Old Chicago's was number two. That's cool. Well, we're gonna, we'll find out. We'll find, we'll find out. out. See, that's so, another secret. That's, we're going to talk to the Bristols in one of our upcoming episodes yeah. about their 30th, so we'll ask them. Yeah, that's cool so um, I was pouring the beer. People loved it. People loved it, and they had great branding. They had great... Um, I mean, I'll never forget seeing the Red Rocket the first time, seeing Laughing Lab sweatshirts around town at like Spring Spree and shit like that. Um, Forget And so when I opened the Blue Star, if we go back, when I opened the Blue Star, I wasn't originally planning on having any beer. It was just going to be wine. Mm -hmm. I was talking to Mike about that, and Mike being Mike said, well, maybe we could put like a small little... Uh, system in the basement or whatever. And so we designed this. I mean, it was the small, it had to be the smallest keg system of all time where we had two pony kegs. And then in the basement, we had a, we had a room temperature winter warlock and yeah, he delivered beer to us in like little tiny pony kegs. Um, and was we, he a partner? I'm sorry. In the business or the building or when you approached him to do this, what was the relationship there? He, we, he, he and I were just, he was a vendor of mine, but I needed, when the bank said, you need to go get another partner, mm-hmm. I approached him with the partnership offer. Okay. I'm like, hey, do you need to move? I need to buy this fucking building. I had no idea that he was growing so much that he actually had it on his radar that he might need to move. Okay. So and then the division there was the brewery side and then Blue Star side. So you yeah. guys bought the building together as partners, but then yeah. got your own businesses Correct. inside of that larger you got footprint. It. Okay. You got it. Got it. Okay. And that was 98. Blue Star opened June 20th of 98. Uh, Bristol opened like July 4th weekend or like July 10th, July 12th of 98. Something like that. Okay. Um, when we were designing the Blue Star, I went to a place in Chicago called Fonterra Grill, which had a restaurant in the middle of it called Topola Bombo, which is Rick Bayless's place. And you could make reservations at Topolabombo and at Fonterra Grill. It was first come, first, first come, first seating. Um, and so that's the way we designed the Blue Star to have reservations in the dining room and then be able to put a burger on the bar menu. Um, <clears throat> that worked for a while. Um, well, there's been places that have, have sort of copied that as well. Cowboy Star, when they opened up, they, they had a sit-down menu, but then you could just walk in and sit at the bar and get a burger. Of, of you still like, can. You still yeah. can. I mean, yeah, we go there for date night. That's probably the best, <laughs> in my opinion, no bullshit. That, you can go there for $78, no alcohol, get their chocolate bread pudding or their chocolate chip bread pudding, <laughs> their steak frites, hamburger. Like, they have good shit. It's yeah. good. It's, it's good. 
Tell us more about the layout of Blue Star. Uh, we're calling that one Blue Star 2.0. Yeah. 1.0 was an old yeah. photo city. Yeah, 2.0. 2.0 like if, we, if you've never been, um, I don't had know. a wine cellar that sat 22 people and had, uh, I don't know, when we closed, we had about 800 bottles on the wine list. Um, had a, a dining room that sat had 16 tables, but they were all four tops. And it could go to 90 in the dining room when you rearranged it. And then the bar sat about 100. Okay. And then this is a question I know that you were reluctant to leave anyone out. We already talked about this, but I wanted to highlight just how many people came to that restaurant um, that are still working in our local industry or beyond that have, that have a blue star somewhere on their resume. Um, you know, kind of like the food halls are doing now with the, you know, we want to be incubation space in a way by default or whatever you were doing, you kind of acted as an incubator for a lot of people's careers and talent came through there. Um, can we go over a list of some of the alum? We're not going to get everyone. We apologize if we miss someone who's special, but um, I'd love to know. I just want to hit some of the highlights. Um, sure. Downtown Colorado Springs, home of the largest concentration of independent restaurants in Southern Colorado, is proud to sponsor Tap and Table and support the passionate individuals who make the food and beverage industry a cultural highlight in our lives. With more than 140 restaurants, cafes, bars, breweries, and coffee shops within its boundaries, Downtown Colorado Springs has the perfect something to satisfy any craving. Find a complete list of where to dine and drink at downtowncs.com. I'm personally thrilled to have the Ute Restaurant sponsor this episode of Tap and Table. Why? Because I'm a member at City Rock Climbing Gym, where the Ute is located. I love that the Ute has healthy house-made items like salads, wraps, and two of my personal favorites, the Thai peanut Buddha bowl and a turmeric quinoa black bean bowl. There's also hearty pastas, flatbread pizzas, Cuban sliders, and even a great customizable ramen bowl. The Ute also hosts over 50 of the finest craft beers on a constantly rotating menu. Me. I'm always working my way through the IPAs for brands like Cerebral and Outer Range. I dig that I can show up at the bar with climbing chalks still on my clothes because of the casual atmosphere. It's a comfortable space, rich with character, even kid-friendly, and you don't have to climb to enjoy the eatery. Check out the Ute Restaurant inside City Rock at 21 North Nevada Avenue next time you're downtown. They're open from 4 to 10 p.m. Mondays through Fridays. Plus, you just might see me there. I just want to hit some of the highlights. Um, sure. So I think each of you, I'm going to round robin. Each of you name an employee, okay. and I'm going to match it. This is a, this will test my knowledge. I'm just going to go the, the easy way, and James Davis is what okay. I'm say. That's what you get. All right. So James, <laughs> and that's Davis. a good one. That's a good one. <laughs> that's, that's a good one. one. Well, I, I have another one, but that's what my we're coming right, around you're next. Yeah. Okay. Now James Davis is currently at Chiba Bar. Yeah. Yep. So we should also, if we know where they are, we'll say that too. Yeah. yeah. Um, while we're on Chiba Bar, I'll go ahead and go with Michael Karsten, the owner. Oh wow. Also Blue Star alum. Oh, okay. Wow. Now you have to match with someone. Um, if you're going to go with Michael Karsten, I would go with Heather Robinson, who runs the Ute and is related indirectly to I Michael Karsten. Did not know that. <laughs> well, that's <laughs> great a, for baby. this episode because the Ute is yeah. one of our sponsors. Heather, Heather Robinson. That. Her nickname was Heater. Okay. She ran the host stand like 
a really aggressive Julie McCoy from the Love Boat. Wow, that's yeah. a great description. Uh, that's okay. okay. So who's your right, next Ryan's one? Up. I was gonna say my sister, Caitlin Hannigan. She worked with James Davis in the kitchen. That's for, true. For like she a was summer or two. Yeah, she was a pastry chef. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, right. good. I'm my... going for Tyler Scheidel. You got a list currently. <laughs> I know burrowing owl and ferns. Yeah, and also Tyler's with with you at Nosh. But yeah, all right. Now your turn. Yeah, Tyler was awesome. Um, who would I go with? Uh, I have so many choices. Give me uh, one of the national people. You, you national it. people would be would start with Shane Lyons, James Hayes Jr., Chris Ryerson, um, and I'm probably missing one or two. And you said a couple of them have some, like James Hayes worked for Emerald. Uh, Jimmy Hayes, before he worked for the Blue Star, worked for Emerald in Louisiana, and he had great stories. And then he went on to work for Thomas Keller at the French Laundry and then opened Per Se. And then he went into the wine industry and worked for Vineyards and then eventually Constellation Brands. And he's, he's just a great, yeah. great dude. You're making the point, though. Like, again, Blue Star... A lot of talent passed through there. Correct. All right, Ryan, you got anyone? Or you want me to just keep firing? I, 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 I mean, the only I was just going to look off your list and just, you know, look just off the list. steal it's Mark Henry off the list. Yes. Oh, Mark Henry. Very good. Mark Henry. Very good. You're not even going old school. I, well, wow, I, don't have gonna, the, yeah. I don't have the knowledge that... Mark Henry, we're, that's good. We're going to bounce all over. Mark Henry currently at Wobbly Olive. All right, I will go with um, Chuck Thomas, who's now yes. owner of Munchies. That Chuck was true. in the early Ivy Wild days, right? But did yeah, he, do he Blue was. Star? I, no, he wasn't. He, I think he was a prep cook at Blue Star. Okay. Um, and then he came over and worked at Ivy Wild Kitchen. Okay. Um, both Mark Henry and Chuck uh, were were and are incredibly enthusiastic about. I don't know making making food, making people happy, uh, being part of a team. Um, so you're going there. I'm going with, uh, how far back do you want to go? You want to go to the very beginning or you, you want to go to what my favorites are the ones who are still in the industry right now. So I, I think of like, I'll give you one more, like a Montana horse fall was bartending. Oh yeah. And now, uh, black hat. Yeah, and I think she. Well, no, she's at uh, bar thirty three right now. I think. Got it. So, um, I'll, yeah, I'll trade you a Montana for something. Okay, old. so somebody still in the industry sure, would be you, Erica Erica Moulet. Okay, and she's at Rabbit Hole. Yeah, and uh, okay, that's a fair trade. Um, what about? No, we mentioned you mentioned Shane Lyons. Let's fill that one in real quick. Yeah. Shane worked for you, uh, Nosh for. Uh, yeah, oh. he either came at the Blue Star and then. I can't remember this. He either started the Blue Star and wasn't allowed to talk about his his experience on TV and then came back and went to Nosh, mm-hmm. or he was at Nosh, went away to the experience on TV and came back and couldn't talk about it then either. I think that sounds right. <laughs> um, it was one of those kitchen shows. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, I don't understand. I met his family, his father, his sister, like, worked at Boeing. I got to talk to her about stuff because my father was in aeronautics. Um, and, yeah, I mean, he, he is... Shane went on to work at... Uh, he left Nosh and went to New York, opened, distilled, opened, distilled New York. 
Yeah. Uh, he's a good friend of mine, by the way. He's on episode one of my State of Plate podcast. Mm-hmm. If you haven't listened to that, check out that. Shane's riffing on what it was like to grow up in the Springs and sort of our food scene now and then and everything. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, after New York, um, he's currently in L.A. I know this because we actually talk a lot. Um, and he's started a, a food company called uh, Vesti. It's a high-end sandwich shop hmm. with another buddy out there. Sounds like it's doing great. So yeah, Shane's had some great career success and I... Yeah. Haven't gotten to talk much about this. There's no NDA, but I will talk about it. But um, he did food styling for uh, a couple episodes of Yellowstone. Oh, huh. So I went out to Montana with him during the pandemic, and we fed the cowboys as they were training. And what it was is a that blast. like? What was what like? What is that like? That's you you like a you, lot. I just you fed f- Kevin Costner. No, Kevin wasn't there. We did feed Taylor Sheridan and a few of the. Uh, if you watch the show, it's like the the the. The ones the living roping? in the bunkhouse, the ropers oh, okay. and all that. So, um, One of those guys is like a famous artist, an actual musician. Oh, yeah. I, he we, he wasn't on my yeah, – I, I did like preseason four. Oh, I okay. caught some of the stars, not all the stars. Okay. You're thinking of Ryan – I can't remember his last oh. name. Anyway, amazing experience. Well, here's what I will tell you, though, back to Shane. Yeah. Shane is a phenomenal chef, and like when it comes to the weeds or the pressure, the guy doesn't blink. I mean, we put out – we were working long, long days, all three meals – feeding everyone and pandemic circumstances too. So yeah. it wasn't optimal, any of the setup or we were, you know, still masking and doing all yeah. the things, but um, Shane would just, we'd get little audibles or little curveballs any minute now. And he would just run back in and whip it up. And like yeah. the food was great. Um, I've, I've worked for a lot of chefs back in my time. And uh, I would say Shane is just tremendously talented. Yeah. So, very talented. Anyway, yeah. I mean, one of the youngest CIA grads ever, correct? I think that's something like that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah, I think, I think, that's I, right. think, I think he used his money from Nickelodeon to go to CIA and he graduated extremely young. That sounds about right. Cause he was a child actor. So that all checks yeah. out. All right. Back to the list. Um, I'm going to give I, I'm you, gonna, I'm going to, I'm going to cut us off here. I think, I think we've, we've one more we've one established. More. Oh, you have one, one more? more, not a person, but we talked about how other businesses were launched because of this. So you worked, you had like four of the six people oh my who God. started loyal coffee. Yeah. I mean, Mueller worked for us, Seth, Tyler. The first time I met Tyler, uh, at a tasting or a training at the Blue Star. They were doing it in the wine cellar before Ivy Wild opened. Eric Harry obviously opened the principal's office. Um, what other businesses? You mentioned I mean, Lee Spirits. Lee Spirits. There's a great story about them and I going on a walk. And we got to a certain point up in Stratton Preserve where I used to see your father. Yep. And um, what I call the S's um, before you get up to the Mesa, before the... Before the uh, before the reservoir and they were telling me about all these reasons, you know, about what they wanted to do and shit like that. And I was like, why the fuck don't you do it? <laughs> just fucking do it. So they didn't work for you. They just came to you and no. You and then they worked with Michael Myers from distillery Two Ninety One. Okay. Um, Michael was in a house next to the blue star that has recently been torn down. And then he moved into, uh, the Bristol space when Bristol moved. Um, and then Lee Spirits was either talking with him or collaborating with him. Um, All right. Well, that, that makes the point. Nate Windham. Got, Nate Windham. Oh, Nate Windham, too. Nate was huge, Nate was huge yeah. in tasting gin. I once tasted gin with them at table 60 at the Blue Star. And my, I mean, I was just, my palate was blown away. And, <laughs> and Nate was still talking about junipers and elderberries and I'm glad we didn't leave Nate out for sure. Yeah. All right. This is a really quick question. How many employees total in all the years do you think you've had? And how many do you have right now? 
We okay. probably have between 48 and 60 now. And okay. I know that one year, the first general manager of the Blue Star counted W-2s. And I'm not proud of this, but this is a fact. Her name was Robin Hubbard. And it was over 260. It's a big, it's a big number. So we churned through... Unfortunately, we didn't have training systems then. Uh, we didn't have the hiring systems. We couldn't filter out a good, uh, a good candidate, shall we say, from a bad candidate. And so when, yeah, when the January W-2s came in, I found out. <laughs> uh, would you pour me a little bit more of that final one? I'm really enjoying that. I think we may have which actually... Was the, which was the final one? That the, was the number six. Seven, the seven one, the flower lavender one. Yeah, yeah I, got I think we rushed our tasting notes, covered. but that one is really good. It's got like a little creamy finish. And mm -hmm. so, as as I'm pouring this, uh, as, as iconic as Blue Star was, you know, back in the day, where all of these great chefs and personalities and entrepreneurs worked for you and and with you, uh, why did why did it meet its demise? Why did it close That's down in 2017 uh, along question. with Nosh? Yeah, so I think at that point. Um, and I've said this to a few people, we didn't have any systems. So Joseph ran around and went to Laos. I had a Prius. We would call it the Tejon Tootle, and I would, start at, I would start at Laos, and I would stop by Nosh, and then I'd go to Blue Star, and then I'd circle around to Ivy Wild, and then I'd go back up to Laos and back to Nosh and back to Blue Star. And all of those managers had their own ability to hire or train and by the time Ivy Wild opened in 13 through 15, um, the, I realized the deficit of those lack of systems. And by the time I came back into the Blue Star in 15 or 16, um, and even Nosh, because I had been occupied by Ivy Wild, um, those, the team had been hollowed out, the culture, the character, and then also the Blue Star wasn't as relevant. When we first opened, uh, date night would happen once a week for some of these people. And they would spend $200 or $400. Now young people eat out five nights a week, but they spend less money per time. So they spend more money per week, but less money per time. And the Blue Star style of service and type of service and type of food was not relevant. Um, so you just, you just took it out then and didn't try to keep it going. You decided like it's had its time. We're going to just close for now. Yeah. Re I, I didn't know at that time I wanted it to reopen at a building we had downtown. We were thinking about a building downtown. Um, there was going to be a lot of work to make that happen. And then COVID hit. And when COVID hit, we were like literally just holding on by our, nut hairs and keep trying to open Stalina and keep the school going. Um, so, so quickly, just for everyone, um, talk a little bit about Stalina. Uh, we'll I know, we'll, I know we're sort of in the middle of the story here, but yeah. we're, we're sitting here in Stalina, uh, pizza kitchen. Yeah. Give us just, just a little bit of background behind, uh, the, the idea behind this place and so Stalina is located at 749 East Willamette. It's in one of the oldest buildings in town that used to be a grocery store. It's like one of the first six grocery stores in town. Um, we wanted to 
the team, when we started the process of doing better hiring, doing better training, uh, a partner of mine, LT and I own this building and it was available and, uh, different people had looked at it, but the team wanted to do a rustic Italian type, uh, restaurant. So Will and I, Will Merwin and I went to Rome and Florence and ate for, I don't know, two or three weeks. And you didn't call me. I didn't call you. <laughs> this is rude. Anyway, you want to think that's continue, rude. Continue. This, is, this is truly the way it went down. Okay. Hey, honey. Uh, Wait, who's honey in this story? Brandy Martinez, Brandy's my wife. Honey. Okay. <laughs> hey, honey. Do you want to go to Rome? Shamrock Foods is willing to get me a ticket to go to Rome. When are you thinking, Joey? Well, this is the weekend they're saying, or the week they're saying. Oh, Joey, I can't go. That's my sister's wedding. Perfect. I'll go with Will. <laughs> and you're still alive in front of me. I'm alive. This is not the skeleton of Joe talking. I'm this alive. Talking. That's the true, that is the truth, Ruth. Wow. At least um, you didn't yell next at her, but anyway. Didn't, you didn't. You didn't. <laughs> so wait, Selena makes uh, fresh pasta here too? We right? make pasta. We make gelato. We make our dough. Um, we're open uh, Tuesday through Sunday, and it uh, really is, I mean, the best compliment I've gotten about Stellina is people that have been to Italy and said, Joseph, you know, it mimics the Roman-style food uh, or Florence-style food. Which is the square pizzas. Yeah, square, yeah. rectangular. Right. Um, things like American pepperoni are not there. They use chili oil or different types of hot peppers. Um, but it's really fresh. It's yeah. really tasty. All right, I'm going to do another quick... Uh, I'm going to keep him on his toes here. Yeah, sure. A quick pivot to... Sure. When we talk about Blue Star 2.0 closing and Nosh closing, Yeah. I don't want to chalk that up as like failure, big, big capital F word failure or anything like that, but you and I have talked before about... Things you tried to launch that did fail, that have taught you a lot. Oh I mean, my God, you mentioned, dude. well, again, we could play a game with the names, but I wrote down breadheads. You, you mentioned a few more. Yeah, breadheads. Walk through that. Well, there, before, that started with Bell's Deli that I bought from Judy Bell. Uh, Cerulean Grill. Cerulean <laughs> Grill. Grill. And then breadheads. Then breadheads. And, and then, then in Boulder in 2010, Laos Boulder. So those are four significant, like, hardcore <laughs> failures. Did you, did you, you learned a lot and you lost a lot. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, I mean, I don't know how many Packer fans or new England Patriot fans are on this thing, but Tom Brady would say, you don't lose, you learn. And so I think that we spent a lot of time and money learning lessons from those failures that informed like when the blue star closed things we needed to do better, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, and, and to that point, you didn't like go to business school and I didn't, I pump out a pump out a business school certificate to open a restaurant. Uh -huh. You, you, you learned to, your way through the ranks correct. to open it. So it's sort of trial by fire anyways. So anytime right. you have a failure, it's just a learning, you know, you, you yeah. learn what worked and what didn't work. And then you can apply that to, yeah, to the next one for that loan in 1998 for the building that Bristol and Blue Star occupied. One of the one of the agreements with the bank is I had to go to college and get a, go to an accounting class. Um, 
So that's the only college class I've had. So PPCC. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> that's it, yeah. All right. So to Brian's point, then, um, if you take the lessons you learned from 2.0 yeah. that you are about to apply to 3.0 Blue Star, uh, which you have called the greatest hits. Yep. Let's walk through that. There's a lot to cover. There's, there's several moving parts, so we'll, we'll go through them. But, um, okay, lessons learned from two, you're taking to three. Design so the, is the first. Yeah, right? the first thing is that the design of the kitchen in 2.0, the kitchen was not designed to serve the cocktail lounge, the dining room, and the wine cellar at full volume. And so this restaurant that we're designing is designed for one dining room, which we're calling the greatest hits. And then there's going to be a back area, which is going to have a commissary kitchen for food trucks, other local food producers. And then there's a private room back there. Also, if somebody wants to rent that out and they want either a blue star type menu or even a special menu, that's hundred percent unrelated to blue star, you're going to be able to cook it off of that off underneath that hood, off those grills, things like that. So, one of the problems with the Blue Star is we had really eloquent language like log jam, and we would truly have a comp button on our squirrel system that would say log jam, and we would have to buy food because people waited too long for their table or they waited too long for uh, the food to come out. So your accountants are going, what does this mean? That's right, log jam. And you're just like... so. That's the first thing that we're designing is the kitchen is right-sized to the restaurant. Um, and then the other thing is the food will be more consistent because it's not changing. I mean, one of the groups we really admire is Hillstone, which is up in Denver. And they have like White House Tavern, Hillstone, Cherry Creek Grill, Rutherford, Rutherford Grill in California. And they're just legendary in their consistency, in their volume, in their training, I mean, they do crazy shit for employees. Yeah. It sounds like something I hear from, I've heard from several chefs, but most recently I know uh, Eric Brenner over at Red Gravy says this a lot when we've talked, but stop cooking at people, cook for people. When you say Mm -hmm. greatest hits, is that sort of, in that, is that correct then? Like the greatest hits will be almond rosemary, crusted salmon, uh, beef tips, steak frites, burger, Corleone, calamari, blue cheese wedge, balsamic greens, Chicken enchiladas, roasted chicken. Um, Luke Pharisee loves the buffalo chicken pasta with blue cheese. Um, so these were things that were on the menu throughout the years that did well or stayed as flagships yep. that are coming back. Yep, on one menu. On one menu that And you'll be able to get all the time. Yep. The greatest hits. Okay, yeah. because consistency was something... Uh, consistency was... We had two issues with consistency. One is, and Tak Kim was a great employee at this. This is probably early 2003 to 2007. When the menu changed every week, it would change on a Wednesday or Thursday. We would usually make a sauce that would last from that Wednesday and Thursday through Saturday night. When the person made it a second time on Sunday, it was different for the remainder of the menu. So people would actually come in on a Thursday or Friday, love a dish, then come in, on Monday, Sunday, Monday, or Tuesday, and complain that it wasn't consistent, which was again a, a just a a consistency a consistency issue. And so, like Stelina has has the the things we've learned and the trainings we've done, the the consistency of Stelina, the consistency of things at the school have ironed out all of those. Whether it's 
small C consistency issues, whether it's a weekly sauce thing or the inconsistency of training people uh, how things should be done over a longer period of time. Okay. Um, one you mentioned that I want to focus on is that black box concept. Yeah. Um, this one sounds exciting. Um, yeah. Can you walk me through, and you, and you mentioned that what you're doing with the greatest hits is what enables the black box. So explain that. Well, I mean, I think one of the things we really want here in town is we want, we want to be able to explore food. Exploring food costs money, right? Um, Cerulean Grill, which James Davis would say when he and I worked together was one of the best restaurants we ever had. We lost so much money because of center of the plate items and we couldn't get volume in there. If you're going to explore, you have to explore or invest in research and development, probably 10 or 20%, not 50%. And so Blue Star Greatest Hits would in theory allow us to explore other types of food, um, chefs that could come to Colorado Springs to explore food. So the idea is with a black box restaurant, uh, a chef from Denver, a chef from New York, uh, a chef from Chicago could come out here for a working vacation, uh, post up in that space three days in a row, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, sell it out. People don't have to go to Denver, don't have to go to Las Vegas, don't have to go to Chicago. Um, have a great experience, go home. And, it's, and, and is anyone else doing this that you're modeling after or you're no, trying this? this is total crack smoking <laughs> Joseph Coleman. <laughs> All right, so it's either going to be next big success or next Oh, it'll be, I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it's not, I mean, I think. It, it's an incubator type thing. Yeah, it, I mean, we have to, I, I think we want to try to, um, we want to try to enhance the ideas and the eating experiences in Calder Springs. Like one of the roughest days, Primitivo was a great restaurant and people used to say, wasn't it great when Primitivo closed Joseph? And I was totally the opposite. I thought that if Tejon couldn't support two great restaurants with two great wine lists, that actually shows something's wrong with how much people want to eat out. And so we want to be able to explore create that sense of, uh, I mean, culinary arts. That's why it's called culinary arts. Cause it is an art form. It is, it is art. Uh, we don't want to just make the same thing over and over, uh, all the time. Yeah. So that's the theory. That's very so, cool. So in terms of the footprint over there at that, at that Blue Star location, 1645, yeah. um, I know half of the building had gotten a little bit of a facelift when Dauntless was looking at yeah. opening up there. Uh, how much of that space is going to be repurposed for, for Blue Star? Or is there something else that's no, going in loyal, there? No, Loyal Coffee Roasting is in the back. Right. And they, they, then there's going to be, an, hopefully, a new user in the Dauntless space. Okay. The 1645 side is going to have... Um, it's going to be 10,400 square feet total. It's 7,000 feet on the first floor. And then there'll be a 3,000 square foot uh, patio restaurant. That's oh, nice. yet unnamed. So, so you'll put something on the rooftop yeah. as well. Yeah. Get, totally get enclosed. Extra space. Yeah. No, totally enclosed. Totally enclosed. So basically building a second story on that, yes. on the building? Yeah. How wanna... much? So after, after closing in 2017, I know I'd been in, I'd seen a, I saw a, a show uh, like a comedy show in there. And it yeah. seemed like seemed we wanted like, to do live music and the neighborhood wouldn't let us. It seemed like there was a lot of, uh, a lot of roughed in ideas went in there 
how much of the of the footprint of the, at least where the kitchen is now uh, is staying somewhat the same? I know you oh, said no, it's, it's totally be gutted. New. Totally it's gutted. Totally gutted. The oh, wow. whole place is gutted. So after after we um, had those shows and things like that, there was a night like this that was totally cold, and we didn't turn off some sort of water. Oh, um, just- everything blew up. And the city called one day because water was coming out of the cinder blocks on the north side. Oh, no and way. we walked in there. And it was like truly out of a movie set. Just like flooded. lights were, you know, the, the, the recessed ceiling. Water was all over. And the guy was like, you're not going to walk through there, are you? And I'm like, wow. fuck yeah. I mean, if I'm not going to, who is? <laughs> so, yeah, it was totally flooded. The oh, floor, the wood floor was warped. I mean, it was so totally it was total gut job. It was yeah, totally yeah. gutted. There was mildew. There was mold. I mean, it was... It was ridiculous. The weather so, yeah. uh, he's referencing, in case you're listening to this later, it's it's like zero right now. We're almost negatives out there, right? So yep. oh, it's negative. It's, it's negative yeah. too when I came in here. Yeah, this is a miserable night to be yeah. out uh, recording. So thank you for yeah. making this happen and joining us in the cold for sure. We're not done yet though. Um, actually, I had a, one question too. Since we're talking about that footprint, um, how will you handle parking down there, <laughs> given the past I mean, grievances and again you mentioned the neighborhood yeah i mean we have had always a good relationship with uh, dan robertson who has the building to the north or to the south um where the salon is we've always had a good relationship with u-haul and people parked there mike and i own the church where Milibo is um we have a good relationship with sam I don't know all of Sam's descendants where that hole is in the ground. Oh, for Prime 25? Um, for Church Well, yeah, Schaefer. where there's in theory going to be a hotel or motel. Yeah, parking right, garage. Right. Um, parking garage, yeah. yeah. Um, so, I mean, I think that parking, I don't know. I mean, I've, I've always thought that people would rather have good food and walk a little bit. And if we have valet or people now are Ubering or lifting in order to drink, and not get what's the correct pronunciation <laughs> for ding or dung with a DWI? Oh, I that's Do a you good get question. Dinged with a DWI? I, I you, know, you kind of get just fucked with a DUI. <laughs> I'm gonna go with the different word. I wasn't sure I was to say that, Andrew. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like a, it's like a part time yeah. job right yeah. there. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, I think that Uber, Lyft, I think that people will will come. Um, and I think there's a bunch of other development around there where people are just living. There's more density down there as far as rooftops and with Dan, what Danny Mink is building or wants to build. Um, so there's just going to be more population down there. Mm-hmm. Well, and Bristol's done a really good job at, at Ivy Wild of yeah. getting rid of some of the open space that was playground and actually putting a parking lot in Correct. so that you can park more than 10 cars in front. Correct. So that's, I mean, that's, that's a boon to yeah. that whole area. And the way Cascade is, the way the city moved Cascade and made all that parking along Cascade, I mean, that's an improvement. Yeah, there's, there's tons more parking than there was so, five years ago, even. Yeah. Well, this one next. We're still organizing our last couple that's questions fine. here. I'm, I'm obsessed about getting it all into this episode. That's fine. I'm going to have one of these. Uh, I'm whatever actually this asking is. something completely different than this. Do it. Do it. So one of the things you talked about is, is the date night type thing changing, where people are going from spending 200, 300 a night once every week or once every couple of weeks to spending less five nights a week. Uh, are you seeing, did, did you see, or are you seeing uh, the sort of DoorDash, Grubhub culture taking a, a, a a ding you know, for, for uh, lack of a better term out of local restaurants. I think that um, I am fascinated by, I have an answer for this. I'm going to give you two things. That's good. I'm fascinated by 
um, the quality that people find acceptable in food being delivered to their door. So the first time we had this problem was when we were up in Boulder. We had a Laos. People ordered shrimp tacos to a dorm room. Shrimp tacos don't travel well. They don't travel well in Boulder, Colorado on, later, nights, yeah. on nights like tonight. Yeah. And it was miserable. And it was miserable for everybody. Um, shrimp tacos were made to be eaten hot. Fresh. Yeah. yeah. Right off the grill, you know. Um, so... I think when we're designing the Blue Star and we do have to-go items, they will be designed to travel well. So, like, the almond rosemary crusted salmon will not be one of the things that can go. The chicken enchiladas will. Right. Something that can be reheated easily and not ruin the the texture of it. I do think that convenience, it has never been more convenience-based. It's never – I mean – it's never, people are eating out more and they still want more and more and more convenience. So whether it's um, ordering pizza from to-go from Luigi's or uh, ordering enchiladas from the Blue Star down on South Tejon, that's, I think that's going to increase. I think my concern is I want the people that order that to have a great experience. So I'm inclined to sell a blue cheese wedge. I'm not sure if I want to sell mixed greens and put it in the same box and have it be wilted. If that makes any sense. Right. By the time it gets there. Right. You, and, and you don't know if you have, you have a DoorDash person picking up 12 Correct. orders from three different restaurants. You got it. It could be 45 minutes before that salad gets to that person. Yeah. And then they're only, you know, they're, they're going to maybe be angry at the DoorDash driver for being late, but they're also going to be like, well, why would I order from this place? Yeah. I'm glad you asked about that because it, it does it does relate to six years have gone by since the old Blue Star into this new Blue Star. Now we've had the pandemic. We've had all the lessons of the pandemic that all the restaurants and all the industry had to learn together. As you think about that when you're opening, uh, we did mention hiring and staffing being one of those concerns too. Um, you want to talk a little bit about that? Well, I think that the population, I think the people that work in restaurants that population pool is in theory shrinking while there are more restaurants that are opening. So it creates a, a, a dearth of employees or possible employees. And then the treatment of employees, the, the stress of being open during the pandemic was, I don't know what happened, but people kind of ate a crazy pill. I mean, it was just really... It was very challenging. It was very unfortunate. Um, we had employees that were threatened. We had an employee here that like fought with, the, the, that literally wrestled with a customer who had a brick in their hand. Wow. Um, we had employees at Laos that were spit on. Um, and people would say that they were going to call the immigration service. Um, it's horrific. So, yeah. It was just really uh, like people showing their worst. Yeah, I mean, I think, the, I think the pandemic put a lot of stress on a lot of people and how those people responded is... It was just weird how the industry became a scratching post for some of that. That's a great way to put it. I mean, they dumping ground, like that you could say things or do things and that it was, it was okay. Like the level of rudeness just... 
I don't know what happened. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. While we're in Stellina too, you mentioned this staff is on, is it a tip share and um, everyone is the same flat rate? You told me like the dishwasher is yes. making the same as. They the, don't make, they don't make the same. It is a tip share. So all the money, and we've done that at Ivy Wild where all the, at the Blue Star, one of the challenges is the, the waiters make a certain amount of money and they're paid a certain amount. And then, and this is something that Shane Lyons mentioned years ago, is that the, the cooks aren't, usually aren't tipped out. Right. And that creates friction. And when you go to customers, and this is what's fascinating, when you go to customers and you ask them, what is a tip for? They say food and service. So then when you tell that customer, you're going to give a certain amount of that tip to the kitchen, they think you're taking from the servers who've done a great job. Right. And when you actually ask some servers, what's the tip for? They'll honestly say it's for good food and good service because they know, they know, they fucking know that if that food sucks, their tip goes down. Mm -hmm. Right? If the burger's overcooked, if the filet mignon is overcooked, if something's raw, they know over the long term that if the food is shit, their tip goes down. Yeah. But if you ask them to like really commit to that, like what is that percentage? Is it 50%? Is it this? Is it that? It just gets, it gets nasty because it's obviously their rent payment or yeah. their car payment or whatever. So we have tried for years to think about that. There were conversations before the Blue Star closed when Danny Meyer did the service charge included in all of his restaurants. Right. I was reading those articles trying to figure out if that would work in Colorado Springs. I don't think it would. I, I think that... I mean, there's only one place in town that has the service charge included. And is it working? Well, I don't Are we know. We about the same place. It's, I, I think I've, it's I on think a I've hill. Seen a couple. It's on a hill. It includes well, there's it, that. It, it there's, ha- there's, it, there's a couple places that have tried it. Epiphany tried it. Uh, okay. And people complained that their prices were too. Well, high. I've seen the line item where you Got can it. tip, and then there's the extra line for the you know tax regular gratuity total. T- kitchen tip, and I think that one. And there's little you know the laws had to be. Yeah, I mean, right I way, think I think all of that is. Um, I think all that is weird, Matthew. Like I went to the, I went to a restaurant in Santa Fe years ago and the food was fucking incredible. And I was so excited. I wanted to buy the kitchen shots. Right. And I mean, I was over the moon. I was like, line them all up, fucking get them shots. Yeah. And the owner was like, I don't want them to have shots. I want them to continue to cook. <laughs> you can leave them money. And so we did. Nice. We left them money. But the, there's no structure for, in that situation, it wasn't that I wanted to take from the waiter. The waiter was still going to get what the waiter was going to sure. get. But there's no structure for acknowledging those people coming in anywhere between 10 in the morning and 2 in the afternoon, uh, trimming fish or trimming tenderloins, uh, prepping their mise en place, then cooking wine, cooking things correctly to temp, doing it under pressure with multiple tickets. And then leaving and then, with hundreds less than the servers. Correct. Yeah, yeah, it's not, it hasn't been fair. So it's something you're, it sounds like the industry's still working on the inequality factor. No one's necessarily found the right thing, but as you approach Blue Star, you're going to attempt what you're doing with Stellina and try to level it the best you can. Yes. And that's Everyone at Stellina and at the school is paid an hourly rate. 
and that hourly rate is above minimum wage and um, not just a few cents above minimum wage, because obviously the more you pay people, the better your cut, your better your employees are. Yeah. Um, but then they have a they have a pro rata share based on the hours they worked in the tip pool. Okay. Um, if you, I have a couple more questions, really quick. But do you have one that you want to throw out? First? No, you're, you're good. Go ahead. Okay. Back to keeping you on your toes. Sure. I want to go back to Blue Star 2.0 for just a minute. And um, you, you told me a couple of wild stories that happened there back in the day. Like some things went down at the old school Blue Star. Do you want to share any of those with us? Well, tonight? which ones are you talking about? Are you talking about like people fucking in the bathrooms? Are you talking well, about that's <laughs> one? There's that's one right there. Uh, you mentioned. Uh, I mean, any place that has 800 wines on tap, like do oh people stealing do, do, do wines? People the steal, yes. Do people yeah. steal? Oh god, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So we had a we had a wedding group of women from Texas that were staying at the Broadmoor Hotel. And they came in and they had this wonderful dinner. And this was a Friday night because the next day was Saturday when this all went down. And they just got, I mean, just loaded, right? And they all thought that like one of the, one of the games or the, one of the party prizes or something is taking a bottle from the Blue Star wine list. So they all took a bottle Next day, we're at work, setting up for Saturday night. Phone rings. Hello. Um, we're really embarrassed. We want to return the wine, but we don't want you to open the door. <laughs> so I thought it was like six bottles. No shit. I put two green crates out there because they asked us to put green crates out near the back door. And uh, there are 22 bottles of wine. I mean, of all different kinds. It wasn't like Grand Deschazo, which is a... First growth Burgundy. Did but they know what they were taking, or they just, they just no? They just they just turned from their seats just and grabbed a, a bottle. <laughs> okay, you know? they weren't even like great grabbing the good stuff. They no. were just grabbing whatever. No, that's what I'm saying. They didn't take any Grand Echazo or Latosh or 1966 Port or Taylor Flaggate 1994 or uh, <laughs> anything like that. And there was a Magnum incident as well. Oh yeah, Tyler Shadell would get you the details on this. This was great. We had a. Oh, a huge bottle of Graham's 20 by the women's room. Um, and people were either in booth, I think they were in booth 21 and these women went to the bathroom and this was during the time when it was like, uh, tickets, tickets to Disneyland, uh, for four people, for a family, $200, uh, staying at, the Marriott Disneyland, $500, a family vacation, priceless. So it was during that time. I don't know what year that was. So these people take this bottle. We'd seen it. The staff saw it, put it in their purse. They go and sit down with their husbands. And Tyler went into the system and typed kind of that kind of thing. Dinner for four at the Blue Star. You know, I'm making this up, $200. Uh, taking a bottle you know, a magnum of port, you know, priceless. But we didn't know that these men didn't know this. And they were, <laughs> for people that worked for me and know position 20, table 21 and position uh, two and three, they were, the women were in one and four and the men were in two and three. And the men saw this and they were, I mean, beyond mortified, pissed off, uh, embarrassed. I mean, it was just, it, we thought it was funny. Kind of the whole, 
the whole restaurant, our, our staff was kind of looking to see what their reaction was to see. Everyone like, was in on it. Yeah, to see like if we got them or they got us or if they were going to have a sense of humor about it. It did not go well. <laughs> um, well, I've, I have one thing I want to go out on then unless you've got something else. Are you good? Cool. Um, one thing when we met before this just to kind of prep this up a little bit, um, I asked, I said at some point I'm probably going to have you introduce yourself and I changed my mind on that. But you said to me that uh, you're a dishwasher. Yeah. You worked your way to the top. You said you're a waiter. You said you're a people person that you don't see yourself in the food business, but in the people business. Uh, I thought that was kind of a, maybe a poignant way to go out, but did you want to say anything else about that? You know, Joseph well, I mean, Coleman, I think, if we didn't cover it. I mean, I think that there are people that I met with the Blue Star and other places that are truly like foodies. Fran Folsom was one. Fran Folsom was and is a foodie, the spirit of her understanding of it. And I like food. I, I really like food, but I like people more. Right, even though Richard may think I was hostile and intolerant, <laughs> I really do like people more. I like employees, I like customers, I like solving problems. Um, I think that the industry that we're in has the pressure of growing, growing good employees. And so if we have bosses or leaders in the industry that don't like people or don't want to grow people, it's going to be challenging. Um, I happen to like people and want people to grow. I want them to grow out of the company, whether it's like James Davis or Shane or Matt Shea or Michelle Hassler or Drew Robinson. I mean, all of these people that have come through, we want them to grow, explore, expand. And that's, that's more successful than then kind of coming there and just not wallowing, but being, being neutral, you know? Yeah. Give us the opening date tentative on Blue Star 3.0. Oh, my God. <laughs> we start construction in probably late February, early October. Or no, late February, early March. Hopefully we're training people in August. I would like to think that we're opening sometime in September or October. All right. It's exciting. That is exciting. There, you heard it first on tap and table, the blue so, star tentative opening timeline. <laughs> I do have one final thing. So, Joe, if, if we were to sum up all of your experiences and all of your uh, history into a one-liner, Joe Coleman is blank. What would that be? Um. Wow. If I was to explain you as a person and a, and a business entity and a, an entrepreneur to someone that has no idea about all of the things that, that have happened to you in, in your lifetime, how would you, what would, what would that sort of like uh, dust jacket be on your biography, that, that one Well, liner? you could say, you could say it any number of ways, Ryan. You could say Joe Coleman is evolving. You could say Joe Coleman is relentless. You could say Joe Coleman is impatient you could say joe coleman is trying joe coleman is improving i mean i think those are all things that would be accurate i think using it just the blank is where it's it's tough if it's one word but it doesn't have to be one word it could be it could be a a phrase um i used to say and people really found it offensive (laughs) i really believed and i do believe this in this industry you have to rest when you die and that that it's it's not an industry that is easy, 
Um, you have to love it. You have to love coming to work on a day like today. You have to love getting ahead because there's going to be days that, you know, it just kicks you and it can kick you by staff not being available because COVID takes out three out of seven employees. Um, and so I think you really have to like, you have to like the energy or the issues of the industry which I'm lucky to do. I, I, I don't want to lay flat work. You know, I don't want to lay concrete. Um, Joe Coleman is. I Some was, people would say a jackass. <laughs> um, I was going to go with Joe Coleman is wanting to know if you have $1,000 to give him. That's true. The new the number, new Matthew, store. is 25000 <laughs> That's twenty five thousand. Eight percent interest adjusted for inflation. Eight percent interest paid monthly. <laughs> All right. So, awesome. yeah. Well, thank you, Joe. Thank for you. Joining us. Thank you. On Tap and Table, uh, we will be back soon with another episode. Um, cheers. cheers.